Amen. Well, if you were here on Friday night, you uh, felt the, the weight of Good Friday, and today it's designed for you to feel the light of Easter Sunday. And so, Good Friday, we saw he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And, and on the cross, we saw our sins taken away. But today is a different story. That was Friday. This is Sunday. And so, um, whether you like it or not, I'm going to try to amp the energy up just a little bit in the room here. So uh, feel free to feedback. Feel free to say amen. Uh, feel free to resonate with the gospel this morning because it is good news. And this is the peak of our celebration. This is the, the ground of our hope for now and forever. And so we're going to just jump into the scriptures this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 20. If you have a Bible or an iPhone or something, you can probably find the verses here. John chapter 20. I'll read the passage and um, read it out loud and then pray once again for our time because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Apart from Christ, we're, we'll see that we are just wasting our time. But with Christ, man, all things are possible. John chapter 20, Jesus has gone to the cross. Good Friday has passed. Saturday has passed. And now it's the first Easter Sunday. John chapter 20, I'll read verses 1 through 18. As I do, I would ask you to listen carefully. This is God's word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love that because the other disciple's John, and he's about 16, 17 years old, and Peter's like 30, so he's just like, <laughs> I got there first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as of yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must be rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read 
never will. Once again, let's just go before God in prayer. God, we are here. Uh, we need to hear from you. Lord, we, we are affirming that this is the hope of our future, of our foundation. And, and on, on different ways for every person here, there are different areas of, in our life where we need hope. First and foremost, the hope of the resurrection in you. And that hope that spills over into every area of our life. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come now? Uh, open up the word to us. Show us hope in Jesus. Let our hearts resonate with resurrection power. And let our joy rise this day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? It's a good question. It's a question we'll, we'll come back to throughout this message. But uh, the question of whom are you seeking this morning? What are you looking for when you come to church on Easter Sunday? What are you looking for in your life in general? Whom are you seeking? I got an email this week, uh, pretty excited about it because, well, you'll see, uh, it's from uh, someone I didn't know, uh, Agnes Samuel, uh, agnesforthepoor at yahoo.com. The subject is in good faith, all caps, okay? So this, this is good news right here. Well, the first part's not good news. Um, I am Agnes Samuel, now undergoing medical treatment for cancer. I'm married to Dr. George Samuel, who worked with South Africa Embassy in Malaysia for nine years before he died in the year 2000. Before my husband died, we both make a deposit of a total of $27 million in finance company in Europe. Recently, my doctor told me that I have few months to live due to cancer problem. Having known my condition, I have decided to donate this fund to an honest person. I think that's me. My attorney will issue you a letter of authority from court from court, naming you the original beneficiary of these funds. <laughs> Are you jealous? I got $27 million coming my way this week. So, you know, good news. Some of you are new here. It's like, is he serious? Because if so, we got we to gotta leave. You're like, no, that's ridiculous. You're not getting $27 million from Agnes Smith Samuel, whoever that is. Come on. That's a fraud. That's a, that, that, that news is too good to be true. Just throw that away. Everyone gets that. I got one from a Nigerian prince last month. I mean, it's just amazing how much money is out there. And yet on Easter Sunday, the claim that we're making, that we're gathering right now, that we're making is, is far more audacious than some stranger giving us $27 million. And so it's understandable that there might be some, and maybe even you in this room, saying, really? I mean, are you really that gullible to believe that someone rose from the grave, came back from the dead after three days by the power of God? Uh, really? Or, or maybe it was just, you believe that, but maybe it's just those first disciples, they were, they were, they just, they were gullible. You know, those people back then, they just didn't know what they were talking about. They, they were kind of hoping for or waiting for something to be true. And it, when it wasn't true, they just kind of had to make up this story that, that their, their rabbi came back from the grave. That, that must be what happened. They, they were susceptible to hallucinations or, or um, just wish fulfillment. But really, 
You're saying someone came, was dead and came back from the grave. If that's true, that changes everything. If that's true, man, then everything else he said uh, must have been true as well. And therefore, uh, you, should, you should crawl on your knees through glass to tell the world that message. And yet somehow in between that and reality, we come somehow, maybe it's just because we still struggle on this side of eternity with sin and distraction and all these things. Somehow the import of it isn't as pressing as it should be. Because if that's true, it changes everything. And the gospel, the writers knew this. Christianity has never been about a a, a spiritual or a metaphysical resurrection about like, like if you just follow the teachings of Jesus, then you can somehow experience his presence with us. That's not how we say it. It's not like when uh, Aunt Sally dies and you say, Aunt Sally's with us. That's not what Christianity has ever claimed. They've claimed a spa- in space-time, uh, a, a man who was a fully man and truly God died, and three days later, blood began to be pumped through his body again, and he came back for life, a, a real event in history. In fact, Paul will go on to write to the Corinthians, and he'll say, this is of first importance, that Christ died, was buried, and that he rose again and he said he, he appeared to many people. He appeared to the disciples and to Jesus' brother and to over 500 people at one time. And then to me, Paul, uh, last of all. And he was saying it because he's like, look, these 500 people, and when he wrote that public document about 20 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he writes to the churches. He says, if you don't believe me, there's 500 other people. Many of them are still alive. Go to them. Go ask them, did they see an actual physical Jesus? And then Paul says this. He says, if that did not happen, we are the biggest fools on the planet. We're not into sentimental religion and uh, sentimental doing right and doing wrong. Paul says, if that did not happen, if the resurrection of Christ didn't actually happen in time, then you are still dead in your sins. You are to be pitied among more than all men. You should, you should, we should shut this down right now and just move on with our lives because we're wasting our time. Because they believe that it actually happened. There were witnesses to it. You say, well, okay, Mark. I mean, they had evidence, but, but what, what do we have? Well, first thing we see in this passage is that Christianity welcomes skeptics. It welcomes investigation. It welcomes you using your mind and, and, and weighing out the evidence. That's, that's, not, that's not counter to our faith. We want people to examine, and, and we need to be uh, more sensitive to our friends and neighbors to our, that, that are skeptical. They, they have genuine concerns. People don't die and come back to life. And so we have to give them reasons. And some of those reasons uh, uh, that are, are mentioned in this passage, maybe you didn't see them, we'll, we'll unpack them a little bit, but we're claiming that our hope for now and forever is based on a real event in real time that Jesus rose again. This isn't just spiritual religiosity, that this actually happened. So let's step into the story, and we'll see even in this passage some evidence, even today, that we can say, no, that actually happened. 
Let's jump in. Uh, in verse 1 of John chapter 20, again, on the first day of the week, at first Easter Sunday, it says, Now, first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the tomb had been taken away from the, uh, the, the, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So Mary Magdalene, she was part of a group of women who were followers of Jesus, who helped support financially the ministry of Jesus and the disciples. But Mary, in particular, in Luke chapter 8, we read that uh, she had seven demons cast out of her. Whatever you want to think of her life before Christ, it was a mess. It was a wreck mentally, physically, spiritually. Her life was going in a dead-end direction. She was destroyed a person. And then one day, this rabbi comes along, and she looks up into his eyes, and he looks into her eyes, and she sees for the very first time the love of God in the eyes of Jesus, and he delivers her of the demons and sets her free, puts her feet on a new path, and now for the first time or for a long time in her life, she has a hope and a future. She is headed somewhere. And then everything goes terribly, terribly wrong. She's one of the women that were there when Jesus was crucified. She was the one weeping at the foot of the cross that she thought all the hope and all the disciples, they thought this could be the Messiah. This could be the one that could deliver Israel. This could be the one that throws off the yoke of slavery from the, the, the pagan Romans. And then... Jesus is hung on a cross. See, the disciples were not looking for a resurrection. Even though Jesus said several times, I'm going to die and I'm going to come back on the third day, they had no context, no worldview for that. That, 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 that wasn't part of first century, that wasn't part of first century Judaism. They didn't understand that. And, and so what they did understand is that the law in Deuteronomy says that anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. And they saw the guy that they thought was blessed by God, anointed by God, the Messiah of God, hanging on a tree who is cursed by God. And they think, we were so wrong. How could we be so wrong? I, I thought I saw him do miracles. I thought, him, I thought I saw him feed the hungry. I thought I saw him heal the sick. Why is he hung on a tree? That's, that means he's cursed by God. And they were only half right. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He was cursed in our place. Meanwhile, we look at it uh, 2,000 years later. We know what this day holds, but on, on Good Friday and on Saturday and on Easter morning, if, if your best friend, if the person who has rescued and redeemed you has set your life on a new course, if he's been brutally murdered, on the third day, you're not chipper. You're not thinking, oh, life is grand, life is good, it, it, this is, we can move on now. We, we know the disciples, they were terrified. They're locked away in an upper room. They think what happened to their rabbi is going to happen to them. They're not expecting a, a, a resurrection at all. The Jews believed that a resurrection would happen, but only at the very end of the time when God raises uh, those to righteousness of life. They didn't think uh, that God could uh, raise one person to life. Furthermore, that that one person could also be God. There was no context for that in their mind. They weren't susceptible to uh, you know, wish fulfillment. They were skeptics. And we see in this passage, they, they needed hard evidence 
And even in the face of hard evidence, they had a hard time coming around to believe. But this is what happens. So she, she goes, and the other, the other accounts tell us that she goes with some other women, and they, they begin to talk amongst themselves, and they say, who's going to roll away the stone? We can't do it. Furthermore, the stone's been sealed by a Roman guard, and there's guards placed at the stone. So they, don't, they haven't thought this through. It's early in the morning. They just want to honor the body of their best friend. And uh, as, as they get to the, to the garden, they see the stone's already been rolled away. And And maybe from far off, she sees there's no body in the tomb. And so she hucks it back. She runs back to the disciples. She wakes them up. Peter, Peter, wake up. The the body is gone. And that's the narrative that's going to play through her head through this whole story is the only thing that makes sense is that someone came and, and took the body away, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter hears this. John hears this. And they get up, and they start running. John makes it first. And then... Look at this where it says, verse 5. Stooping to look in, this is John. We think it's John. He refers to himself as the, the disciple Jesus loved. It's, it's not bragging. It's just a humble way to put himself into the story. Um, although I kind of like that. If, if you've got a nickname, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. Yeah, he loves all of us, man. He loves the whole world. You wrote that in your book. Um, John three sixteen. 16. Um, Anyway, verse 5, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So now the word that is used there is blepo, he saw. He, it's just a, a matter of fact. He looks in, he sees, it's just the, the clothes. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there. Now in the English translation, that's exactly the same. But the word for saw in the second part is well, you know the word. It's thereo. We get the word theorize. His mind is starting to work. His logic is starting to get engaged. His rationale is starting to try to make sense of the scene because the scene is odd. It's a very odd scene. He says he saw the linen clothes lying there. The implication is that, that the cloth was, uh, was still there. It would have had 60 pounds of, of valuable spices uh, packed into it, and then the cloth was wrapped. And, and it was lying there kind of like a, a, a locust shell when the locust has left. You've got a shell of it, but it has the form of a body, but it's clearly empty. So that doesn't make sense. How, how does that even happen? One. Two, he, he notices something else. It says that the head uh, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. It's as if uh, Jesus has, has, has resurrected from this shell of, of cloth and linen, and then he takes off the cloth around his head and folds it up and sets it down to the side. And the word thereo is that he saw it and he's thinking, he's thinking, he's like, how is this possible? If, if robbers came, first of all, they would have had to take out the Roman centurions, that would have been hard, but, but why would they take the body? The valuable part was the linen and the spices, that's what you take. And if it was some of the disciples, uh, they, why would they dishonor the body of their rabbi by, by taking him out naked and touching a dead body and then themselves becoming unclean? And, and Peter is just like, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Something's not right here. And he gets up and he heads home. Well, 
Verse 8, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw. Now, that's another word. It, it's the word eido or orao, and it means he understood. It's like, he, like, I saw that you have this going on in your life. He put the pieces of the puzzle together. That's how he saw. He said, this is not right. This is not right. And not that he had connected all the dots, but he said, something's at work here. God is at work. Something, it's more than just someone took the body because they wouldn't just take the body and leave the shell. How would they even do that? You, you can't do that. And so he thinks, I think God is at work here. Verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So they head back. Meanwhile, Mary has made her way back to the garden. She is an absolute mess. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. This is tears coming through uh, out of her eyes and through her nose, and the snot is coming down her face, and, and she is crushed because, again, she had finally experienced life like it was meant to be lived, and now what would happen to her? Would she go back to the demons? Would she go back to the life of destruction? Her world was crushed. And so she's weeping. She's not really making sense. Maybe you've been that distraught before. You don't really think clearly. And so she's just kind of stumbling along in the garden and, and weeping. And verse 12, and she saw two angels in white after she stooped and looked in. She's kind of examining herself. And now there's two angels there. But, but she's so distraught, she's so depressed, she's so um, hysterical right now that she, is, she, she doesn't even recognize that, hey, there's angels here, and when angels show up, that means God is at work. Now, she just has a conversation with them. She's not afraid of them. She's just focused on where is the body of Jesus. It says, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? The angels are, one, perplexed. Two, it's a mild rebuke. Why are you weeping? Like, Jesus told you this would happen, and now it happened on the third day. So why are you weeping? And, and angels, you know, they're not humans, so they, they don't have our emotion. They're just like, here's what's true, uh, and here's how you're acting. This, this doesn't make sense, woman. <laughs> and uh, she said to them, again, she continues the narrative. She's not, the, the idea of resurrection is nowhere in her mind. They said, uh, she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus, but she did not know that it was Jesus. She, she maybe just saw a figure. Maybe uh, this often happens when Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. At first, the disciples don't, don't get it, that this is actually Jesus. But I think it's just because the, the, the tears and the snot and all that is, is going. And she just sees someone in the garden, and, and she looks up, and she sees Jesus. She doesn't know it's Jesus, but then Jesus said to her, woman. Why are you weeping? It's the same thing the angels said. Again, it's a mild rebuke. Why? This is not the time to weep. And then he asked her this question. Whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? D.A. Carson, in his commentary on John, points out that for all the, all the things that we can respect and admire Mary Magdalene for, her devotion to Christ, her passion for Christ, her love for Christ throughout, throughout all the, the four Gospels. For all of that, 
he points out, Jesus, Mary's Jesus was too small. Whom are you seeking? Well, she would answer it. I'm seeking a dead body. That's who I'm seeking. He's like, your Jesus is too small. And the question for us this morning is, whom are you seeking? Are we seeking a Jesus just kind of for life improvement, for a little bit of better path in this life, for our best life now? Or are we seeking a Jesus that died for our sins, was buried and raised again to newness in life, has conquered death in the grave? The Jesus Mary was seeking was too small. And so Jesus, in his grace and mercy, comes to her and he comes to us. She supposed he was the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. I will take him away. Now, Jesus has told her and the others, I'm going to die and rise again. But it's just not in their worldview. They were not expecting a resurrection until verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, Mary. Those words she has heard from those lips on countless times before, and maybe she can't see through the snot and the tears, but in that instance, good news floods her brain and her mind, and she goes from the most depressed person on the planet to the most excited, joyful, ecstatic person on the planet, Mary. And she says, Rabboni! And she hugs him with a beer hug. And everything has changed in that moment because we've said good news changes things, but the best news in the world changes everything. We cannot be the same when we experience the resurrected Christ. That is not an option on the table. Jesus has conquered death and the grave. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. Everything is different. Everything's different. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Now, this also becomes a point of evidence for us here in 2013, uh, 2017. <laughs> it was also a point of evidence in 2013, so I'm not wrong. Um, but in 2017 this up here. Okay, so check this out. One of the first critics, uh, intellectual attacks against Christianity was, uh, there, were, there were many, uh, but in the second century, a guy named Celsus, he was a philosopher, and he tried to write some treaties against Christianity, showing, hey, this doesn't make sense philosophically, and so on and so forth. Now, in that world, you have to understand that the view of women in the first and second, third, fourth century was very, very, very low. In fact, a woman's testimony was not permissible in the court of law. They're not trustworthy. You can't trust a woman. And so Celsus, seizing on that cultural idea, writes this about Christianity. He says this, How can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of a hysterical female? How's that sit with you, ladies? See, at the time... At the time in the second century, that's a strong argument. Are you kidding me? You, the Christians, every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, show that Jesus came back to, to, from, from the grave, and the first people he appeared to were women. Can you believe that? 
but it becomes evidence for us. Because in that culture, if you're going to make up a story about a resurrection, who are you going to write into the story as the heroes? The women who aren't even, their testimony as a witness isn't even allowed in the courts? No. You make Peter the hero. You make John the hero. You make someone else that has this really powerful encounter with Jesus, but not women. Not women. Ah, but that's not the Achilles heel of Christianity. In fact, it becomes strength for us. We see that the the Gospels wrote it because that's how it happened. As embarrassing as it would have been for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to write, and then Jesus appeared to Mary first. (laughs) Because that's how it happened. So it becomes evidence for us. There are, there are evidence, other evidences as well. We just see, for example, uh, these, these disciples who were cowards before encountering the resurrected Christ. They, they, they were afraid for their lives. They, they were, uh, G- Peter would deny Jesus three times, and, and they thought, we just don't want this to happen to us, what happened to, to Jesus, even though he said, take up your cross and follow me. Uh, but then Jesus comes but I'm getting ahead of myself. He says, Mary Rabone, he says, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. He just means, he's like, look, it, it's, you, you can, I know you've, you've lost me for three days and you're holding on to me, but guess what? It's going to be better for you. I'm going to ascend to the Father and I'm going to send the Spirit and he's going to live inside of you. So don't hold on to me, but by grace, I'm going to commission you. Yes, a woman, you, and you're going to carry this message, this gospel to the disciples. And you're going to be the first one to tell them, you've seen me. And here's what you're going to tell them. I say, uh, I go, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has secured for us family with God, our Father and our God. And Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things. And so she tells the disciples, but again, they're skeptics. They're like, "Mm, I don't know about that. So later that night, as they're cowering away in a locked room, Jesus appears. And at first they think, oh, it's a ghost. I mean, after all, if someone just appeared right here, that's what you would think. And he'd be like, no, no, no. Give me some fish. <laughs> I love this. He eats fish to show, look, I have a, a real body. And they're like, wow. And their life is transformed. But one guy's not there, right? Thomas. Thomas isn't there. And we, we really are too hard on Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas, right? No, Thomas comes, and these 11 guys are like, hey, uh, Jesus just showed up. He's like, no, he did not. That doesn't happen. They're like, no, no, Jesus showed up in here. The doors were locked. We gave him some fish. He showed up. He's like, no, people don't just show up once they're dead. It doesn't happen. He says, unless I, unless I put my fingers in his nail holes and, and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe that. And they're like, no, no, really, he's here. He's like, no, 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 no. So eight days later, so the following Monday, we pick up the story. In verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. 
Let's see my hands. Put, your, put, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And that word belief in John's gospel is the central word. It means to trust, actively trust in something. So when I get on a plane uh, this afternoon, I will believe in the plane. That doesn't mean the plane will, will arrive safely. It just means I'm actively trusting it by stepping onto the plane. And Jesus says, don't disbelieve, believe. And then Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. This is radical. This overnight, in an instant, the disciples' worldview, their, their centuries and centuries and, de- of, and millennia of traditions were transformed overnight. They believed that Jesus was God. And he says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas would would go on, tradition tells us, and he would take the gospel to India and he would die a graphic, horrific death in India. Peter would be crucified upside down in Rome. All of the disciples except for John would face horrific deaths because of their following of Jesus. And John was cast away to an island called Patmos where he received the vision of Revelation. What accounts for such a dramatic transformation? The resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. And then John concludes this whole scene with the thesis of the entire book of the Gospel of John. The whole reason of the Gospel of John. In fact, your Bible might have just the the paragraph header, the purpose of this book. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, the resurrection account and all the other signs, that you may believe, that you may trust, that you may have faith that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus Messiah. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. The Son of God. And here's the deal. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Amen. I I don't pretend to know everyone's heart. Only God can know that. But the invitation from Christ to you to this morning is that he knows you by name. Just as he calls out Mary, he calls you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head, and he is inviting you in. It's a picture of the gospel. Mary could could not see or recognize Jesus without him first opening her eyes. And if you are seeing Jesus, maybe hearing a voice other than my voice for the very first time, respond to that voice. He's calling your name. And all you do simply is in, in our time of prayer before we come to communion, you just say, Lord, I don't, I don't know all the answers, but I believe you, you've led a life that I could never live, a perfect obedience to the Father. And that on the, Christ you paid a price, on the cross, you paid a price that I could never pay. You took the wrath I deserve and you gave me your righteousness. And I believe on the third day you rose again. And by the authority of the Word of God, the Bible says that in trusting in Christ, you will receive life and life to the full, life now and forever. Jesus has to be your treasure because he is worthy of your worship and adoration. Now, for the rest of us, what does this mean? What does the resurrection mean? Well, hopefully it's once again a reminder to align our lives behind this truth. I mean, nothing else matters if this is true. The disciples understood that if this is true, we will joyfully give our lives away in the service of others and and sacrificially taking up our cross. 
If this is true, resurrection means that we have a hope forever, that we're going to receive new bodies, that we are going to reign with Christ, with loved ones and with him. We will gather before the throne with every tribe, tongue, and nation, if this is true. But the resurrection is also the foundation that tells us that God brings dead things back to life. So maybe you have dreams that have died or hopes that have been crushed or marriages or relationships that are on life support. The resurrection tells us that the power of God is available to resurrect even that. So as we close our time, we're going to come to the communion table once again. Jesus said, as you, as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns again. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, dead, buried, and resurrected this morning. Let me pray for our time, and then I'll lead us in communion. Father God, we thank you for Easter. Thank you for the resurrection. God, I pray for anyone here that maybe is skeptical, and just that they would know that you invite skeptics to examine these claims. This is the most important claim in the history of the world. And if it's not true, we're all wasting our time. Oh, but if it is true, that changes everything. Lord, so would you continue to draw people to yourself? Your word says that your sheep know your voice. If there's anyone hearing your voice this morning, maybe for the first time, may they pray to receive you. May they repent of their sin, trust in Christ, and begin a new life with you. God, for the rest of us, Lord, may we once again realign our lives to, to reality that Jesus Christ is alive and he is our life. He is our hope. And he is our joy. And may everything in our life, every relationship, every dollar, every hope, every dream, uh, find its place in that right perspective. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.